0: Welcome to another episode of the Can't Make This Up History podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. We have an excellent show in store for you today about the life and innovations of Nikola Tesla. My guest today is Richard Munson. Dick is the director of Midwest Clean Energy for the Environmental Defense Fund. He is the author of five books on the history of science and technology, government energy policy, and the electricity industry. Dick joins me to discuss his newest book, Tesla Inventor of the Modern. Some of the things we cover in our discussion are Nikola Tesla's early childhood in Serbia under the parentage of a distant father, Tesla's employment and eventual rivalry with the inventor Thomas Edison, and how Tesla's invention of the AC electricity system provides the basis for our modern way of life, but is unfortunately too often forgotten in American history. Now on to my interview with Richard Munson.
1: The You Can't Make This Up History Podcast
0: Dick Munson, welcome
1: on the show. Thanks very much. Appreciate you having me.
0: So to begin with, can you uh, tell uh, me and the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your past work, and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what the Environmental Defense Fund does.
1: Well, I'm currently based in Chicago. I've been working on environmental advocacy work for a long time. Uh, a lot of it in Washington, D.C., and more recently here in Chicago. EDF is a national, actually an international uh, environmental advocacy group. I focus on Midwestern clean energy policies, particularly trying to advance such measures within uh, Illinois and Ohio. So um, that's my day job. I um, write Um, often in the weekends, which is the result and why we're having this conversation um, about a biography I did on Nikola Tesla.
0: Okay, and uh, it looks like you have um, written on, um, I guess, science and technology history before?
1: I have. It's it's kind of a disparate set of books. I um, did another biography, this one on Jacques Cousteau, uh, but then I did a history on the electricity industry. And then I spent a year um, sort of behind the scenes tracing how the congressional appropriations process works. So they've been disparate but very entertaining. I've had a lot of fun with them. Well, good, good. Um,
0: well, today we're going to talk about your most recent book, Tesla Inventor of the Modern and uh, I was very excited to pick this up Uh, I actually did my master's thesis on the process of electrification the history here in Ohio Um, Hmm. and I came across Tesla in that research so I was very happy when I came across your book so can you start off by telling us why you decided to write a biography on Tesla
1: well I had long known a little bit about Nikola Tesla Um, but to be honest You know, he is nowhere near as well-known, in this country at least, as Edison or Marconi. Um, But I think what tipped it for me as I was um, reading an article, an unrelated article that had a quote from Larry Page, who is Google's co-founder and current CEO, referred to Nikola Tesla as his hero. And I thought, well, if if he's good enough for Larry Page, um, you know, he's worth investigating. So. Um, I spent um, some time, both realizing that he was a remarkable inventor. I mean, he's credited, as you know, with everything from an electric motor, long-distance power transmission, radio, robots, remote control. The list goes on. Sort of the, some of the bases for our modern economy. But the more I dug into it, he also has a remarkable, you know, personal history and. Um, was kind of a charming individual. So it became um, more and more interesting as the research proceeded.
0: Yeah, and um, surprisingly uh, underappreciated, I think, and under not really well known
1: among a lot of people. Yeah, which I think is unfortunate. Um, and I've often tried to figure out why that is. Um, you know, particularly in comparison to Edison, um, they had this... Um, you know, historians, particularly of technology, appreciate the war of the Currents. This is their uh, debate as to whether you should transmit electricity through direct current or alternating current. You know, Tesla won that battle. So our electrical system is largely a result of, of his invention. And yet Edison gets the credit for it. So um, it was, you know, part of the inspiration, I think, also was Not to discount Edison or Marconi, because they were obviously brilliant in what they did, Um, but to give a little more um, attention to um, this brilliant genius, quirky in many ways, Mm -hmm. but genius nonetheless, uh, Nikola Tesla.
0: Okay, now in writing this, did uh, Tesla himself leave uh, much by way of resources that you could tap into?
1: You know, he wrote um, when he was, I think in early 70s, he wrote an autobiography um, that has to be taken with a lot of grains of salt, because he's sort of remembering his early life, and he tends to be sort of flowery and dramatic about Mm -hmm. many of the scenes. That said, one of the joys of writing this um, came to me when I was at the Smithsonian Institution at the archives. Uh, there and was reading they had brought out a variety of boxes of his scientific papers and sort of his schematic designs for several inventions i will admit that i am not an engineer so part of me to be quite honest was somewhat glassing over so i went to the library and i said do you have anything else Out he brought these two other boxes that were filled with letters that tesla had exchanged with his friends, with his business associates, and suddenly, you know, this man had a voice. Uh, He came sort of alive, Um, and I think one of the the joys was to realize that not only was he this remarkable inventor that some people, you know, put up on a pedestal as being, you know, sort of a Superman, which I'm not going to argue with, but he also was just a very interesting character. All right
0: well, let's dive into his personal life. Uh, what can you tell us about his upbringing? Did he show signs early on of being um, a prodigy?
1: You know, ironically, it was his brother that was identified um, as the one that was going to soar in this family. He was about five years older. His name was Dane. He was clearly Nikola Tesla's idol and, you know, the favorite of, you know, the parents. but unfortunately, Um, When Dane was 12 and Nicola was seven, um, a tragedy happened. The family's Arabian stallion bolted and threw young Dane to the ground, um, and he died that night of his injury. So imagine, you know, as a young lad of seven years old, you saw your brother die. And not only that, his mother then wakes him up in the middle of the night and says, come and kiss your dead brother goodbye. You know, how racking has that got to be. I mean, even, you know, 50 years later, you know, Tesla would write that that image was still seared in his mind. The critical thing here, though, is you would think that the parents would now look at their surviving son and say, "You're, you're our guy, and, you know, how can we, you know, flourish your prospects? You're obviously bright. I mean, he was able to read and write in seven different languages. He could recite lengthy poems and full, short stories from memory, Um, but what the parents did instead was continue to focus on what would have happened if Dane had lived, Um, and he became this idol, this, you know, icon that, um, you know, Nikola Tesla just could not live up to. So his early days, oddly enough, were trying to find appreciation from particularly his father. Um, But his mother as well. And it led him to do kind of strange things. And, um, you know, even when he finally got to university to study engineering, he had his first two years, he was stellar. He got higher marks than anybody had ever gotten at this school. Um, Great letters of recommendations from all of his professors. And um, what did his parents say? Dane could have done better. It was crushing you know, to him. And so Nicola actually, uh, oddly enough, you know, dropped out of school, um, you know, took up gambling and billiards, um, you know, moved away secretly to another town, got arrested by the police for vagrancy. was brought back home by the police. Um, so no, to your initial question, he was not initially viewed as the one within the family that would be the great prodigy. Uh, And he sort of, you know, claims that some of his mind wanderings and inventing spirit came from his efforts to try and, you know, deal with the lack of appreciation from particularly his father.
0: All right. Well, um, I believe you mentioned at the very beginning when we started talking that Tesla is remembered as kind of quirky. He's an odd guy. Uh, What can you tell us about his personality?
1: Well, I think people who know a little bit about Tesla are divided into two camps. One side thinks of him as a Superman, um, as the most brilliant inventor of all time, and then there's the other side think of him as eccentric because he did have quirks. I mean, he abhorred jewelry on women. He um, would get a fever if he looked at a peach. Um, He would have to count his steps off on a walk, uh, and if they were not divisible by three, he'd do the whole thing all over again. So, um, he had his eccentricities um you know, you could claim that that led him to be uh able to see the world a bit differently because he did see the world <laughs> a bit differently um so you had this wonderful you know combination between this brilliant genius um and this kind of quirky guy yeah he
0: he even talks about with his inventions um. Something to the effect of he never draws anything out. He just pictures everything in his mind and disassembles it and
1: reassembles it all in his head. It's It's totally different than um, how Thomas Edison approached inventing. I mean, Edison was a very trial and error sort of guy. He would, um, when he was doing the incandescent bulb, for instance. I mean, it must have tried hundreds of bulb designs and filament, you know, materials. Uh, Tesla did everything in his head. He called it cerebral engineering and actually bragged that uh, he didn't have to draw out designs. He maneuvered them in his head and when he was finally ready um, would then draw the design that he claimed uh, didn't need any adjustments whatsoever because he had worked it out on all, all his mind. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but it still is to uh, inventing.
0: Um, So you write in the book that uh, Tesla does go to work for Thomas Edison, correct?
1: That's right. His first job was actually installing Edison systems in Europe, in Budapest, and in Paris. And he did such a great job that his European supervisors wrote probably the greatest letter of recommendation ever uh, to Thomas Edison, who was not a scientist. Man, this letter said, I know of two great men. One of them, you, and the second is to work for the great man um, and did some uh, great work for them. They did have different styles. I mean, Edison, you know, just from an appearance perspective, you know, kind of looked frumpy and dowdy and, you know, was often chewing tobacco and it's kind of a, a little crass. You know, Tesla was this sophisticated European who spoke seven different languages and dressed like he was going to the opera at all times. They had different inventing styles, as I mentioned. But the thing that really stepped off is uh, Tesla felt that Edison had promised him a bonus if he, Tesla, was able to increase the efficiency of Edison generators. And so it worked for like late in the evening and on weekends to triple the output of the Edison generator turns to the great man and says, you know, can I have my bonus now? And in probably the worst spite that someone can give young immigrant Edison face and said, you know, the bonus was, you know, it was an offer made in Jess. And when you become a real American, you'll appreciate an American joke. Um, As you might imagine, Tesla didn't laugh, found nothing funny about this, Uh, sort of picked up his bowler hat, left, and started his own company.
0: Let's take a short break from our conversation about Nikola Tesla. If you like science and technology, I'd like to tell you about another podcast you might enjoy called Cinema Science. In Cinema Science podcasts, scientists chat about their favorite movie or TV show and how close science is to making these imaginary worlds a reality. I personally recommend their discussion with a bioengineer about the science of hearing in John Krasinski's A Quiet Place and their conversation with a neuroscientist about zombies and the walking dead. Episodes are released every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. They also have a website at www.cinemasciencepodcast.com.
1: Now back to the show. I sort of picked up his bowler hat, left, and started his own company.
0: All right, so Tesla goes off on his own and invents what is probably his most significant invention, the AC polyphase system. Can you roughly describe what that is and why it was so revolutionary?
1: Well, the problem with electricity um, in the late 19th century was that, at least as Thomas Edison viewed it, um, he favored a direct current approach. It couldn't travel very far. And therefore, it was limited to the number of people who could utilize it. it. tended to be rich people who would put a generator in their own basement, for instance. Tesla had a different vision. He figured out that there was a way to alternate the current. Basically, you could think of sine curves that are in resonance with each other, and therefore, uh, the voltage is able to be increased. And therefore, you could send it over longer distances, Um and as a result, more people could have access to this drudgery-saving uh, energy resource. The two of them had huge fights over um, the uh, the alternating current versus direct current, called the War of the Currents. Um, that eventually Nikola Tesla won, but in the process, you know, Thomas Edison uh, he convinced you know to prove that alternating current was you know, horrible and dangerous. I mean, he convinced the New York legislature that the way to, um, deal with horrible criminals rather than hang them, they should electrocute them and used alternating current or the approach being advanced by Tesla and George Westinghouse. So he actually said, you know, he suggested that electrocution should be called, um, Westinghouse and suggested in the promotional materials don't let your house be Westinghouse. It was brutal and cruel. Um, You know, when associates uh, would electrocute, you know, dogs and cats and calves and other things to prove, or at least attempt to prove, that alternating current was, you know, dangerous and should be avoided. The problem is that alternating current was a far better technological approach, um, which obviously was proven when Tesla and Westinghouse won the contract to light and power the Columbian Exposition in Chicago in 1893. And more importantly, Um, when they uh, captured the power from Niagara Falls and sent it via alternating current first 26 miles to Buffalo and then an amazing 400 miles all the way to New York City to power the new subway system and to light the Great White Way. Remember, Edison's direct current could go maybe a half a mile. So 400 miles, according to the New York Times, was the engineering achievement of the 19th century. And that newspaper gave full credit to Nikola Tesla for making it
0: real. So if I'm driving through the country and I see the, the very large electrical towers and, and the power lines going in cross-country, that's what they're running on?
1: That's what they're running on. And you can thank Nikola Tesla for uh, making those available. Um, and again, what it means from you know, a you know, sort of a social perspective is that just more people would have access to this drudgery-saving um, energy source. Um, so both uh, he and Westinghouse won the War of the Currents, but as we were talking at the beginning, um, Tesla is far less well-known than Edison, despite the fact that it is mostly his system that currently delivers our power to us.
0: Now, with the, the War of the Currents, I, I've always heard that at some point, um, as p- in part of his negative PR campaign, that Edison electrocuted an elephant. Is there any truth to that?
1: No, <laughs> it, it, an elephant was electrocuted, but it was not part of the War of the Currents. It was a, a rabid elephant that had killed uh, or injured of, of several other people, and yes, it was put down. You know, um, by a, they tried a variety of means and eventually electrocuted it. But yes, it's part of urban lore. But as in my research, at least I found it was not related to this particular War of the Currents. They did, however, you know, as I mentioned before, they did do this, they killed dogs and cats and calves and monkeys and a whole variety of other things that they brought folks to see and caused, you know, uh, newspaper reporters to leave the room and vomit and talk about how just disgusting and horrible, you know, the scenes were. I actually think that it backfired on Edison, um, because obviously, um, alternating current uh prove to work uh and not cause uh accidents despite what uh edison was trying to claim
0: well yeah i i can see why i mean that on, on edison's part is just so inhumane and cruel um totally yeah uh tesla with his, his ac system and he, you know he's kind of at least it comes across in the book, that he's, he's kind of obsessed with, with electricity, he would, he would do these demonstrations uh, for people to um, prove his ideas and his new inventions and theories. Um, if we could go back in time and watch one of his demonstrations, what kind of things would we see?
1: Well, Tesla mostly enjoyed being alone in his laboratory, but he could, when he needed to be, uh, become a showman so one of his first ones was at Columbia College, now Columbia University, and he gathered several hundred you know reporters and other scientists. and in those days, this was like the entertainment. We didn't have you know video games. and so you got dressed up to come to one of these demonstrations and he, Tesla you know performed like a magician. He was able to manipulate electricity at his will. He shot you know, electric bolts or artificial lightning across the room. This had been something that had previously been reserved for nature alone. You know, he made lamps glow, uh, even though they were not connected to electric wires. Um, he just bedazzled, um, you know, his audience one time, not necessarily on electricity, but when he was trying to demonstrate um, remote control, or he referred to it as telematonics or robotics, he set up um, a display in the Madison Square Garden where he built a pond and a small boat, maybe about four feet tall, three feet long, that um, he would send signals to. And this boat would move forward and backwards. It would go around the pond. It would basically, you know, almost dance, if you will, a bit like a water bug uh, and just mesmerize people because they had never seen anything like this. And then in the midst of this, you know, this supposedly shy man says, who wants to ask the boat a question? <laughs> and the place just goes, what? You don't ask the, a boat a question. And so, you know, probably some math nerd in the back said, all right, what's the square root of 16? You know, and Tesla with his hand hidden underneath the um, the controls had mastered You know, sending individualized messages, so he was able to have his boat flash its lights four times. And the crowd went nuts. (laughs) So, yes, these shows were um, total entertainment. And he, you know, became this, you know, master of uh, almost a magician of being able to control power.
0: I could see how this would, especially in the 19th century, this would just mesmerize everybody. Um,
1: Well, you had never seen a boat, you know, move without, you know, a motor or being controlled. I mean, the next day in the newspapers, uh, there were accounts of people who watched this. Um, some suggested that it was, you know, a magic force that was in there. My favorite was actually a couple of people were convinced that there was a tiny little monkey that had to be inside <laughs> this model boat, you know, that was in charge of sort of moving it all around. So, uh, yes, he was... um you know this, these were social affairs that were unbelievably entertaining because he was showing things that people had never imagined that were possible before
0: now let's let's elaborate on this point uh, a little bit further essentially what tesla was doing is he was he was working on drones right
1: Um, He was. I mean, he referred to, you know, what he had here was, you know, a model boat that um, this was done just a few months after, you know, the battleship Maine blew up in Havana Harbor. So we were quite interested as a nation, particularly military folks, in coming up with new weapons. And here was this boat that looked like it could you know, possibly be controlled from a long distance away and deliver a bomb or a torpedo and blow up enemy ships. So, you know, this was, you know, quite something. But for Tesla, you know, he always had this, you know, sort of split between being focused on today's realities or what he was currently doing, um, versus trying to think more off in the future. And so he had this successful boat, mesmerized the crowd you know, got the military officials to think this is pretty whiz-bang, you know, stuff, but he was bored. You know, what he saw instead of, you know, a model boat or a torpedo delivery system is he saw, you know, for the first time, a machine that had an embodied mind, something that could think for itself. It was, and he proceeded to claim that this, you know, boat, this robot, Uh, Not only could obey commands, but it would be able to, you know, think about what it should do and what it ought not to do. It's about 115 years ago, he was visualizing, you know, artificial intelligence um, and thinking well beyond, you know, again, just this model boat to something that was a revolutionary new form of science.
0: that's crazy that he was that far ahead of his time and and that phrase ahead of his time uh keeps popping up recurring recurringly in your book um what kind of things did tesla envision for the future
1: well that's the amazing part you can think of everything from cell phones radar laser weapons artificial intelligence as i mentioned vertical lift aircraft you know the list goes on and on you know but you know, so he drew you know, schematics for a lot of these things and you know, certainly outlined them in great detail in papers. He didn't, at the time though, often have the technology to make them um, real. But um, you take um, radar, for instance. Um, about a century ago, Tesla you know, wrote out detailed um, you know, plans for how do you send out signals and receive their reflections on a fluorescent screen. And it's about 20 years later that actually the technology came around to be able to do this. And the French scientist who was credited with inventing radar said that the only reason that he was able to do it is that he exactly followed the principles and the apparatus that were conceived by Nikola Tesla. He actually went on, he had this great quote, I loved it. He said, Tesla may have been dreaming since he had at his disposal no means of carrying them out, but one must admit that if he was dreaming... At least he was dreaming correctly
0: it it's uh, interesting because uh, at some point um, you you write that uh, in a lot of cases you know te- Tesla would have an idea and he'd file a patent on it and a lot of times um, it would be well after his patent expires that someone gets around to quote discovering what he invented
1: yeah now let me admit that you know he uh, wasn't a superman. I mean, I, I guess you could say it's pretty super to have done what he did, you know, with radio, remote control, robots, and, you know, um, long distance electricity transmission, as well as these various visions. But, I mean, he also made some mistakes, um, as we all do, and particularly inventors who are on the cusp of um, science. I mean, he, even after the Wright brothers' flight, you know he was convinced that airplanes were too heavy to soar, and he was far more favorable to the dirigibles um, being developed by Count Zeppelin. You know after Einstein, you know advanced his theories that became generally accepted, you know Tesla would maintain that you know cosmic um he could create waves that would travel faster than the speed of light, and that splitting an atom wouldn't necessarily give you any power. So um, that said, Um, I guess I'd come back using sort of a sports analogy, you know, his batting average was (laughs) remarkable. I mean, he gave us, you know, the cores of our foundations for our modern economy and continued to inspire great minds for generations afterwards to think about uh, new devices that now we think of as also core to our economy.
0: So, he, he, he gets some things right, he, he gets some things wrong, of, of course. Um, how, how do you think that we should evaluate his legacy? Um, because we mentioned at the beginning, you know, he's not the best-known scientific figure, um, but you do find that in kind of the conspiracy corners of the Internet, there's this uh, kind of obsession with Nikola Tesla. Uh,
1: how should we evaluate what he did? Well, I think we have to give him credit for being the remarkable inventor of some of the foundations of our modern economy. I mean, um, you know, radio, remote control, um, you know, electric motors, the list goes on. I think um, I'm particularly taken by the fact that he was a curiosity-driven individual inventor and motivated by idealism. Um, and Edison in, in contrast um, you know, was one of the first to develop sort of a team to work on things, but he also invented in order to make money. And I have no criticism of that. Um, that's the way our system works. Um, but Tesla believed that technology transcended the marketplace. Uh, that invention should not just be tied uh, to profits. And I think it's that curiosity driven you know, out of the box thinking um, that is uh, sort of missing uh, a bit today. Um, and I guess at least I look back on him fondly uh, and admiringly about his um, idealism in being able to think about um, harnessing the forces of nature to the service of mankind, as he would say.
0: All right, Dick. Well, this was a uh, very interesting read. This was a great discussion. Um, there is a lot more in your book that we couldn't get to today. Um, a lot to do with Tesla's personal life, his social life. His um, he really was determined to try to develop, uh, for example, the wireless wireless transmission of power. Um, so, if someone wanted to pick up your pick up a copy of your book and read
1: it, uh, where can they go? Well, it is at uh, bookstores, libraries, um, you can go to Amazon and go to your independent, you know, um, bookstore. Um, I have a website, tesla-book.com, um, that talks about um, some of the reviews as well as places to order it. So, um, but thank you for your kind words about the book. It was a treat to write it because I think he is such an underappreciated and remarkable uh, character that I think deserved more, um, study and, and uh, appreciation. So I, I appreciate your, uh, willingness to give him, um, uh, a, a read and I'm very happy that you enjoyed it.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on
1: today. Thank you. You take care. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Make This Up History podcast. And thank you to my guest Richard Munson for coming on the show today. If you like what you heard here today, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified when new episodes become available. And if you would like an easy way to help get word out about the show, please leave a five-star review in iTunes. If you want to listen to other CMTU episodes, they're available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. And as always, if you would like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you on social media. I'm at Facebook.com slash CMTU History, on Twitter at CMTU History, and on Instagram at CMTU History. If you are interested in throwing a couple bucks in to help support the podcast, check out the show's Patreon page at Patreon.com forward slash CMTU History. I will see you all back here in two weeks on Tuesday, March 19th for episode 14 of the Can't Make This Up History podcast, Until then, make it a great couple of weeks.